In roller derby, holding space is an empowering, often intimidating act of strength and strategy for oneself and or teammates. Holding Space, the podcast, clears the floor for conversations that touch upon race, class, identity, and privilege to amplify stories, build community, and make more connections in the skate world. Expect lots of smart, dope skate people musing about life on and off eight wheels and silliness. Can't forget the silliness that you never knew you needed and won't be able to live without. This is Holding Space with Magical Wheelism. Welcome. Club. We watched United Skates, the mm-hmm. 2018 documentary about African American skate culture in the United States. What was your initial impression? I think this was bo- this is both of our second time, right? Yes, this was my second this? time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the first time I watched it shortly after it came out, and. I watched it again last night on HBO since it was streaming free there. My initial impression of the documentary was it was amazing. I learned so much about skating culture and black culture. And there were just so many things that I didn't, that I just did not know about, like the history of skating and, you know, during Jim Crow era and um, how people had to fight to get it desegregated, like, roller rinks, like the place where people go to experience joy, you know, and I think there was when it was they were at like senior night, one of the guys said that um, the rinks would rather die than integrate. And so like rinks were closing at that time. And that just blew my mind. And then, you know, fast forward, when you have like bloods and crypts coming together in a neutral zone, like the roller rink, and if they could do it, like, why could it happen during Jim Crow era? I loved the, you know, personal stories that were shared, like following Fee and Reggie and Buddy at Rich City. And I grew up in L.A., so it was really cool to learn more about that culture in in L.A., Um, just things that I had had never experienced because I didn't grow up roller skating. I started skating after I left California. Um, So it was really cool to learn about to learn about that as well. Um, What was your first impression? I initially saw this documentary in the movie theaters. It had a limited release in like the fall of 2017, probably. 2018, I don't know. But I was dumbstruck. I, I felt like I was immersed in it, in that world that the directors, Diana Winkler and Tina Brown created just like immediately. And it felt like such a joyous place. And it's funny, you mentioned like the rink, it, it almost like create it it almost is like a place of worship, you know, like mm-hmm. a place to find church of skate. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right. It's still, you know, something it's secular, right. Although there are gospel nights, I think some places and what have you, but uh, just like a place to kind of find fellowship and find community and find, and just exercise all like exorcise and exercise mm-hmm. like <laughs> just you know and dancing music and just like, be in a place that's just joy and artistry and also and multi-generational and and accessible i you know it's such a it always strikes me how the skate rinks with the 
fondest memories attached to it are the ones that are usually the cheapest and most accessible Mm -hmm. to communities. You know, I remember walking out of the theater that first time and thinking, like, why isn't there more crossover between derby and roller rink and jam skaters and rhythm skaters in terms of like this struggle and park skating and park skating and but like in terms of like finding calm literal like common ground in this struggle to preserve this vital space to hold this space Mm -hmm. down you know so i and i still feel that way but in this viewing i think that i was able to appreciate the like the details that you know the first time on the screen like I might have like missed I think this time I was just really amazed at how much they pack in in 90 minutes tell me what changed or what you thought about this viewing versus that previous viewing well I think in between the time the first time that I saw it and the second time I've become a little bit more familiar with that type of skating and that type of skate culture and so after the the first time I saw it I just I wanted to know more like I felt I like I had so many unanswered questions and there was just more that I wanted to know about and so having had that time to sort of like learn and you know even if it's just like following people on Instagram and like watching them skate and just learning about like the moves in their local you know in their city and their local rinks and stuff so I had a different appreciation for the documentary the second time around aside from you know the issues of racism in rinks that are pretty heavily discussed in the documentary the biggest thing that like I had a couple of questions around that, but kind of how it relates to roller skating in general. Hmm. And my questions, it's kind of like two part. So how much of a difference do you think that there is between for ro- of roller skating in black culture and white culture? And do you feel like there's some amount of cultural appropriation going on given like how roller skating has exploded recently. Not not that, you know, white people haven't been roller skating for decades as well, but like the way that it is so ingrained in black culture to see how, you know, like a roller skater with little to no skill has, you know, thousands of followers, has sponsors, like And, you know, you have skaters who are busting their asses and who are just these phenomenal skaters, but they just don't get that attention because that like this, this brand of like roller skate culture that has been created by like roller derby and like a couple of the larger skate brands, like that they're perpetuating. It just like doesn't acknowledge this other type of skating that has been here this whole time and that will still be here because it's not a trend for them like this is their culture Mm -hmm. Uh, this is a that was a lot of words (laughs) it was a lot of words and a lot of great ones to unpack it I think that part of it is that I think we can both agree that black skating jam skating the contributions by black people to jam skating have gone unrecognized pretty much across the board like to the extent that that they deserve it and that they've held they've helped hold down rink skating 
And to the extent that they continue to innovate, because look at all those dance styles, I think that they just, period, they aren't. And whenever, you know, in boardrooms or what have you, whenever people are talking or devising business plans, the, the market and the skater, the ideal skater that they have in mind isn't a black person, unfortunately, and sadly. And that speaks to systemic racism and structural racism. I also think that a lack of media coverage, a lack of visibility, you know? Um, yeah. Before this documentary, we wouldn't have known. We wouldn't have had an idea. We wouldn't have even thought to think about it, right? We would have just yeah. noticed, gone about our way. Like, every time we've... We've obviously observed the closure of closures of rank, but we really don't have the idea of the culture that's being lost when one of those ranks shut her down. You know, the mm-hmm. frustrating part was that they would just shut down and remain empty. And just like... It was like, yeah. it was like, what was the fucking point? Well, that's what happened to World on Wheels before it reopened. It just sat there for like years until somebody could make it happen again. And yeah, I think that that's part of it. I think that it's, yeah. it's, it's structural and systemic because obviously there's a, there's a benefit to closing down and keeping it close to whoever owns that land. Maybe it's a tax benefit or something, but there's a loophole there that's being exploited, you know? Yeah. Cause I feel like they yeah. wouldn't just do it out of spite. It's because something is, it's more advantageous to keep it closed than to, you know, remain yeah. open and operational. And that's unfortunate, but I also, um, I just wanted to make one more point. Mm-hmm. I think that also these new brands that have come out nowadays, they tend to kind of package it in selling a life style and styling a subculture and this tight-knit culture and i also think that african-american culture and the way that how to existing as an african-american in this country you need those safe spaces you need those kind of like nights and those you know out of like you know structural inequality and discrimination but also you find community and you you ultimately you know what's the word not co-opt but you know like you 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 empower you empower yourself from disempowerment i think african-americans excel in Mm. that and and you know marginalized peoples excel excel in that and find empowerment in oppression sometimes and i feel like they've made culture you know like i think that as we saw in the historical portion of the documentary they were given one night a week and what did african-americans do they made it their night they made it they, they kept it and they held rigs down when maybe like trends have had moved on yeah. What do you think? So they took that they took that the night that was given to them out of segregation and what there was like a you know a bunch of posters that came up so they had like MLK night, urban night, CPA night, hip hop night, soul night, R&B night. At my local rink it's called hip hop night. It's not called adult skate or adult night. It's called hip hop night. And they turned it into yeah, a safe space where they know for sure like we can come here with our like micro wheels and our clay cut wheels and whatnot and not be kicked out of the rink like Fee and her family were when they went to Moonlight. But yeah, I just, you know, it just, it just drives me crazy when you have people who are just phenomenal skaters and they don't get the recognition that they deserve, not just because of like the hard work that they put in as an individual skater, but like a legacy that they come from, you know, like the gentleman at the senior night said that he was happy, you know, they were there holding up signs outside the rink. It was a peaceful protest and he got cracked over the head and was bleeding, you know, like that, just the things that, that some people did to be able to roller skate. And, and now 
you know, it's just like a trend that people want to take advantage of and make money off of in every way, shape and form. And like the cherry on top of that for me is the racism and the discrimination and the bigotry that you see in derby culture and in park skating and park skating still because people put skates on to escape that pressure and that frustration. Um, I think Shannon Fee's son was saying, you know, when he goes and skates, he just, he just leaves it there. It was an outlet. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It being like the structural institutional systemic racism that people feel. And so when you put on your skates and you're still experiencing that, it blows my mind. Like why are, yeah. Like why are we recreating these structures that people experience in everyday life in, Mm -hmm. in the thing that's supposed to bring them joy. And I think that's what the beauty of the roller rink is because, you know, while you can experience racism in the rink from like owner to skater, the culture and the diversity and just, you you know, yeah. Like, when the interactions that you have with people and I think I I don't want to say it makes all of that worth it because racism is never worth it obviously but like it makes it easier to to deal with you know Mm -hmm. like yeah remember when when, um Reggie was like whenever they close a rink down it it, yeah it means that we're we're like your spirit dies oh yes that yes you know I I yeah I, and I, I think so, that go for it. Like, sorry, just no one worries. other point. When when rinks shut down and like because of rezoning, I don't just feel like it's because you know putting in the big box store makes more money for like a municipality, like via tax money or whatever. I think it is an active decision to attack a community and a culture because what happens when kids don't have things to keep themselves busy in communities where they already lack resources. Well, they get in trouble. What happens when they get in trouble? They go to jail, they go to prison. That's modern day slavery. That's free labor. Like, you know, maybe people might think that's a bit of a stretch, but like, it's just another way. It's a to, trap. It's like it's yeah, another way to keep untap. people in trouble. Exactly. Yeah. No, I agree. I think that, and when you take away a rink, which is a physical activity, you're also removing people's means of exercise. And what is yep. exercise? A healthy way to release stress and to help with mental health. You know, like you're not just taking away, you're not just closing down a, a dusty old rink. You're taking people's means of socializing, emotional health, yep. even spirituality too, for the people who do go through those gospel nights. Well, and it helps with like chronic illness, things it's a like fabric that. Of the keep Look your at body all those moving. People. You don't, you can't get to like be in your 70s and 80s yeah just by you know as a lark like it's that skating that have kept those seniors that healthy but i wanted to say golly you made so many good points i forgot what i wanted to say i forgot my thoughts anyway (laughs) let's keep talking yeah to me the racism that that was clearly discussed on 
in United States, like what I felt like two different, like it felt two pronged, like it felt systemic and structural and it felt kind of like bigotry and discrimination. And we saw the closure of the rank and the heavy police presence as that sort of like structural arm. And, mm-hmm. and I think that you're, when you're, you're fraying a community's fabric, when you're removing a rank, when you're just, you oh, know, yeah. when you're destroying a rank, that's like the, the divestment, right? Cultural mm-hmm. divestment, uprooting the culture and then the bigotry of it, right? Like that guard that was like, these are Section 8 people. Like, what do you care, dude? They're just coming to skate. What does that have to yeah, do with Yeah, like, that? did that he think really that they weird. they shouldn't be allowed to experience joy just because they have subsidized housing? Like, what the uh, fuck yeah. was that? <laughs> yeah, that was bizarre. And, and yeah. I, again, I feel like I felt like it was because that man saw perhaps white faces behind the camera and felt like he was talking to... He's being very chummy with them. I don't think that he would have yeah. said that to other black people, to black people that were there, that were attending. Like they'd be like, yeah. go fuck yourself. Like, why are you saying that? Yeah. Um, and, and, and then the, and then the baggy pants, the articles of clothing yeah. and the, no the, earbuds. The wheels. Like, what does that have to do with anything? What do you, why, why do people have All to skates must have toe way? stops. Yeah. yeah it's, it, it went above and beyond like policing no r&b or heavy metal like it was yeah, it was, clearly was weird. attacking <laughs> you know culture like i it's like sir like i mean this wasn't that long ago but it's like have you looked at billboards 100 like it's not r&b and rap aren't these niche sort of like yeah music's like that's what it is that's that's the yeah. culture that's literally yeah. our culture here and when um when fee and her family were couldn't skate because of the type of wheels that they had. The woman said, I'm sorry you feel that way because it's not meant that way. It's like, then how is it meant? Because, <laughs> yeah, like, that's that's the whole, like, well, it wasn't my intention. I don't care what your intention was. Like, it had an impact. <laughs> There's a really great book by a professor, Carol Anderson, and it's called White Rage. It's all about how racism is and like white rage is encouched in structures and bureaucracy and policies Mm -hmm. and that's how they manifest themselves and that's how they do the most violence and harm and yeah i feel like she says like oh i'm just i'm just following through the like on the rules like this is what my boss is like the owner is telling me to do yeah yeah who makes the rules like human beings right right white people that's kind of what that reminded me of anyway I also wanted to kind of pinpoint that it United States like seemed to operate on like a, a few different levels and I love that about it. Like it it felt like a tiramisu of a documentary. <laughs> like it was like <laughs> Now I want like cake. A, <laughs> <laughs> it was like, you know, it was like that historical cultural piece with those regional dances which were amazing. And I just oh, love so that good. this day and age and like the internet that would seems to like flatten everything. People were, were holding down their cities and their cultures so strongly. I love that. Mm-hmm. Sorry. It's <laughs> all so good. The, like the public, economic, social development part of it also was mm-hmm. a piece that was discussed. Uh, the, you know, the nascent hip hop aspect to it. Yes. And it's, I feel like, you know, like it's, oh, I know what I wanted to say. Like another thing that rinks do, I mean, like, like, bear with me here. I'm going to try to make a metaphor. But, like, yeah. it feels to me like rinks are, you know, like the melting pot, right? And I feel like rinks are the pot. Like, if I think, like, I think of my own experience and I think of being someone from the Bronx, 
if I feel like the rink was the place where everyone, like the gangs, like that was their neutral territory. That was where they hung out. And then, and that's where the hip hop artists came to perform. It was like a hotbed for culture. Like it was something that created, or like maybe like, a, I don't know, maybe it's hard to explain, but it feels like the rink is kind of like the vessel in which like some really amazing culture is made. And yeah. the place, like the locale, like like I, I don't want to see that lost. Like I, I think that we yeah. need, we as human beings need those, we need locations, we need places. I mean, in the era of COVID, I don't know what that will be like, but I think we still need that. And I think that the rink serve that process. Because you bring so many different types of people, different backgrounds, different races, like different upbringings, and then you create a rink culture. So each rink has their own distinct, not just dance moves and like types of skates that they have, um, music, but music, dialects, culture. Yeah, like ways uh, to move their body. You know, when like, I was in LA, uh, I went down to Fountain Valley, the the roller rink there, and uh, I just started dancing with this gentleman and he was, you know, I was like, Oh, I'm just here for a week visiting home. And he was like, Oh, well, if, if you have time on this day, then go to this place, but don't go to this other place. Cause the DJ is not good on that day or whatever. And I was like, people, people follow a DJ. And he was saying like the DJ that's here tonight is going to be at this other place this other day. So like, if you want to go to any other session, like go to that DJ and that, you know, and it's you're you're totally right. It's a melting pot of bringing all these people. Like, where are people supposed to be? Like, are people supposed to go like on Zoom in twenty twenty and like create culture yeah. that way? Like, you can't, you know. Instagram I, Live. I know it's, it's so then, and then the last level that the documentary operates on is that personal, the anecdotal level with the three stories. Mm -hmm. There's the rink mm -hmm. owner. We're like skate lovers. All three of them, that's what they mostly shared in common besides like belonging to the African-American groups. The rink owner who is, I think he said Buddy. his son would be like the fifth generation. So fifth he's generation, like four yeah. generations of skaters. The party organizer who was trying to bring that culture or assemble that culture in his area. And Fee, the mom mm -hmm. who was trying to connect to that culture herself because she's deeply like she loves it clearly but also trying to keep her kids out of trouble and trying to mm -hmm. find an outlet for them and mm -hmm. you know encourage their love of skating too so yeah. i i commend them for what they were able to illustrate and capture in 90 minutes mm -hmm. and just the dance sequences are so beautiful that that sequence yeah. when they i just i wanted so much more <laughs> Like I wanted, I wanted more dancing. I wanted more about like all the skates that people were, that people were making. Like, I think Shannon made skates out of like boat shoes. Like I've never seen anything like that. That was amazing. Like I you find it. a shoe that you like, that's comfortable. And then you just skate on it. Like you don't need $700, like moxie jack boots. Like just get a shoe and a plate and some wheels, like boom, done. And there's um, so much more, and there's so much more like, authentic to your personality yeah, like they're so exactly they feel like they're like you like all you could see you could see someone skates and know so much about them you know yes. like there's so much more individualized that way i thought it was so like yeah. they had like timberlands or like dress shoes everyone was just on yeah. wheels but like so when i was at fountain valley i saw a lot of dress shoes and like um one 
person was like kind of grungy and had some Doc Martens. And I was like, Ooh, I want those. Like, yeah. <laughs> those look so awesome. Dope. I think Kiana Yuana has like a pair of like black they have platform the, They have the platforms. Yeah. <laughs> like, see, I could just look at those and I know so much. And they're like, I don't have to like speak a word. And then like, there's yeah. that too, right? The whole, like, those aren't, when you think of what DIY culture is, somehow those never get mentioned. That, that isn't really considered. Yeah, you think about like vans, mounted tennis shoes with, you know, chicks and bowls, CIB slider blocks, and like you're going to the skate park. You don't think about like the creativity that this culture brings and what the type of skates that they're bringing. Like that's not discussed at all like the first time i saw skates like that was when i went to fountain valley and where's fountain valley it's like an hour south of redondo in california okay yeah yeah i think it took like an hour to drive there we went there on thanksgiving day like night like had a meal with my family because that's like the day that they know that i'm gonna be in la and and then we drove down, we drove down there. My mom was so mad. You know, she was like, I can't believe you're not hanging out with your family. And I was like, I'm going with my cousin. I'm hanging out with my family. Like we're going skating. Yeah. And I was just blown away, like at how beautiful they were. And I had never seen wheels like that before. Like it was just this rich skate culture that like I could finally like touch and feel and interact with and like learn more about. And especially with the resurgence of, um roller skating in like mainstream more like white spaces like derby and and like skate parks and how it's become really trendy and people want to learn how to jam skate not only are they not jam skate credit, dance classes like a aerobic yeah class. where <laughs> white people are profiting off of somebody else's culture where do you draw the line right like skating is trendy now like or how do you pay respect how do you like you know how how do you contribute to the perpetuation of that culture and not just kind of be like a culture vulture or exactly right exactly like um one of the i think one of the uh people at the senior night or actually i don't remember who said it but they said this is my history this is my culture and so for me going back to that first question that I asked and then I just sort of like answered and didn't let you respond to, which I realized. I think I did. Yeah, no. Oh, okay. I don't remember, but it is cultural appropriation. Mm. And what can we do about that? What should we do about that? Especially as ranks continue to close and those available spaces are taken away from the community whose culture is based around, you know, largely based around ranks. Like, what do we do next? Like, what do all these big companies that are profiting off of, off of this resurgence of skating in white spaces where it's now trendy and now people want to participate? Like, are they giving back? Like, are they engaging with rinks? Are they engaging with communities that go to rinks? Like my hill to die on last year was like the lack of representation on one trendy skate team and, you know, how, social media and marketing was being handled on both on a different team as well as that aforementioned team. And so, so now what, like they've changed, you know, they've added some black skaters to one of the teams and their marketing has changed. Like what are they doing to pay respect to not just be culture vultures to help that culture 
blossom that create that paved the way for roller skating that. today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you held it down. Yeah, I think that it it's important that they pay respect and that they diversify and that they are aware of what their market demands of them. But I don't want to. I don't like the dynamic of that relationship. Like, I don't want to wait until someone gives me something. I rather hold yeah. up others like an Adrian Cooper in Tennessee and support yeah. more women and POC owned businesses. Color, like, yeah. yeah, and and you know, and and spread that. Like, and light that match and spread that. Let that mm-hmm. fire, you know, yeah, grow. Yeah. I feel like if they don't see our worth, besides our dollars or wallets, then that's pace. Like that's how, well, I mean, yeah, like we can, we can impact, we have an impact with our spending dollars, obviously, but to some extent, it's not just about money dollars because like culture has value, right? Like they are taking that culture and they continue to make money off of it. it. Yeah. Just because, just because they're huge brand names and, people who are new to roller skating, that's where they go. You know what I mean? But I absolutely agree with you that like you can, what's the expression? Like you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. No. And so I've, I'd like, rather teach, um, to use another metaphor, I'd rather, I'd rather teach people to fish rather than accept, you know, rather than get fish. Like, you know what I mean? Right. Like, I feel yeah. like rather than waiting for them to give me something, I'd rather learn how to fish myself and do it yeah. myself and do it better. That's yeah. my inkling I don't know yeah so I still like I continue to get you know I do get messages about like oh this thing happened are you going to do anything about it or oh this you know like when the whole Impala thing happened and it was like you know I'm not going to get involved in that because we had this big thing happen we set an example for what it would be like to engage brands and things like that and how you could maybe go about that and try to help them do better but at this point like I want to invest my time and my energy into positive, you know, engagement. So like, we're like, we're doing this raffle that ends today and we're raising money mm-hmm. for a mutual aid fund for LGBTQ, um, BIPOC humans. Like, like that's a way that you can, that you can lead by example in a positive way. Like you can lead by example in a positive way by, I don't know, doing a fundraiser for, a local rink or like doing a fundraiser to buy skates for somebody who can't, you know, normally access it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I definitely agree with you there. Businesses. Yes. No, for yeah. sure. Not just rinks, like any kind of business. <laughs> it's true. Oh, I, you know what else I wanted to say? I think that the fact that we kind of operate in these silos, be them like, artificially created or not speaks to like the pervasiveness and the insidiousness of racism, you know, and how we're still Mm -hmm. obviously trying to shake that off, even in the ways Mm -hmm. that we know how to like surround ourselves and socialize amongst ourselves. Like that's powerful too to me, I think. Yeah. So I want to mention Skate Life TV. It's Skate L-Y-F-E underscore TV it's predominantly, well, it's only like rink skating and rink culture. The page has a little over 30,000 followers. And 
BIPOC who skate has close to 6,000 and only like 79 people that, that I follow on that page follows Mm -hmm. skate life TV. Mm -hmm. That's insane. It should be way more than that. (laughs) Everyone. How dare you? (laughs) Yeah. So it's just, I, I say that because like Mm -hmm. that says something, right. That only 79 other people follow this page that is predominantly black skaters in rinks and it's just the control that these skaters have the moves that these skaters have like is it because it's not like estro is it because it's not lady trample is it because it's not people that like park skating and derby like idolize already Uh is it because you don't know yeah i just i just think that like it doesn't matter it doesn't have to be somebody that is already well known and that people already idolize and that ha- already has thousands of followers. Like it should be about the skating. It should be about the athleticism. It should be about like the skill, you know? I hope that um, us as like sort of like intermediaries, we can sort of help bring a little bit of linkage and making people, you know, become aware of each other. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to look at the comments real quick. Fee says, we notice. Yeah, like, it has to be incredibly frustrating to be a, like, highly skilled skater and to see how much attention, like, not very skilled skaters get, but just because they're, like, cute or, like, fit or, like, fit some beauty standard, you know, like, that is acceptable for, like, public and social consumption, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, somebody else said, I think it's important for white people who do rink rhythm jam skate classes. They need to go out of their way to learn about inclusivity and understand that this culture was built by people of color. Yeah. So that could be like taking, taking like cultural sensitivity classes or like DEI training, diversity, equity, and um, inclusion training. Yeah, absolutely. Your homework. Also, there's another documentary on Hulu right now. Know your history. Roller Dreams, which is another. Oh one. my God! What? I cried. That I didn't finish hurt it. My yeah, don't spoil it heart. for me. But it's about the okay. roller, roller roller culture in Venice. In Venice, in yeah, in the eighties, I think. Yeah, it was like late eighties, early nineties. Yeah. So yeah, do your Google because they talk about the yeah. Oh, that that one. Oh yeah, I cried a lot. I was like, I, <laughs> I was like, sat with my with my legs up and like leaning against the couch, <laughs> so my partner couldn't see when I was crying. <laughs> not that it would you know matter if he saw me, but it was just like, I'm not crying. It's just my allergies. Falling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <I'm> <laughs> um, yeah. What other comments? I'm sad that I can't see comments. Um. um let's see. Fee says Roller Dreams is so good. Uh, going further back. Oh yeah, Fee says I've never, I've never lived in the project. I think that was in response to the security guard when we when we talked about the security guard. Yeah, United Skate Stock. It's such a joy to hear how much you've both taken from our film. Um, we love it. Yeah, there. Yeah, there are a couple other comments, but it's mostly like waving and hello and things like that. Okay. Hi everyone. I'm going to do a shameless self-plug right now, but I had the honor of interviewing Fee in late fall last year. And so if y'all 
holding space with magical realism. If y'all click the link on my page on my Instagram, you can hit that and you can see it. You can find it. And like the actual, like, I believe it was the second episode of my podcast that launched last fall. I interviewed the owner of the Moonlight Roller Lounge, which is a to-be-opened skate lounge in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Adrian Cooper, a woman of color, young mother, woman of color, trying to deal with all of the logistical, bureaucratic nonsense and BS that is ridiculous and racist, low-key racist, high-key racist, um, <laughs> and trying to open a, a rink in her in her city and, you know, help promote and do she's actually doing something and trying to help that resurgence of ring culture along so yeah mm-hmm. you listen to that because we actually do talk about united skates and she told me that the documentary was something that moved her and was maybe like a little bit of also like a, of a catalyst of what inspired her to open up her own rank which mm-hmm. also leads me to my next point how do we save these spaces? And now yeah. with this pandemic and how difficult it's going to be to socialize in groups. I feel like that throws a, a wrench into things, right? As if we needed another, how how do we actually save these spaces that we love? Um, in my experience, and I'm putting on my community development hat, it seems like spaces that um, in which the land can be protected from the market seem to be a best bet. And I'm thinking of like in Branchbrook, Newark, they have a rink there and the rink is actually on parkland. So mm. they would have to raise like an actual park in order to destroy it, which I wouldn't put past any administration nowadays, but, but I really don't see that. It seems like a long shot. And mm-hmm. also I know that Adrian is going to build her rink on the lands of an African-American landowner who is a skater and is very familiar with the skate culture and skating in general. So I think that those kind of protections are the things that will be necessary in order to secure the space, secure these spaces, the, you know, take these spaces. And another thing, um, make this last point, accessibility. I think that one key point is the accessibility of rinks. Like rinks are so, so cheap. And that's something that I think nowadays entertainment isn't. And it's, I don't know, I feel like that's a problem and a shame. And we should we should look at that too, whether it's a question of access and classism in there. Yeah. What do you think? You know, if you think about like going with a, as a single parent, going to a rink, you know, with your family, you know, let's say you have, two kids and it's 10 bucks, like that's 30 bucks right there. You know, that's, it's not cheap, but it's also cheaper than, you know, going to the movies or various other, you know, activities like 30 bucks. That's like a concert ticket where I live, you know, at a, in a smaller like venue with with a band that's like less known, you know, but then that's $30 that's going to, a smaller local business that's $30 going into your going into keeping that space open, you know? So I think as soon as we can, especially after, you know, all of these restrictions are lifted because of COVID and obviously you want to be careful, you know, like you were saying, like we don't just want to jump right into it and act like everything's hunky dory and like it, you know, we still don't have to, be afraid of 
getting sick and whatnot, like we should do our best to invest in those, in those spaces. And I don't know, maybe your local rank will take a donation, like, because they can't, they're not having their sessions and things like that. Like reach out to your local rank, see if they'll, see if they'll take, if they'll take a donation, like think about the money that you would have otherwise spent there during this time. Like maybe your, maybe your local rank will just accept that so Mm -hmm. that they can stay open. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The local, the rink where I live is, it's pretty sad. Mm. Like it's super sad. Um, the The guy that owns it doesn't live in Madison where I live. He lives like maybe an hour, hour and a half away and he owns another rink. And that rink I haven't been to, but I've heard is just absolutely beautiful. The rink in Madison where I live is awful. Mm. Um, we used to have I don't even know what it was. It was like compressed, like, I don't know, it was like hardboard or something like that. But every time it would rain, it would flood. Yeah, because it would rain and it would flood and it would chip. And then, you know, he'd like replace little chunks of it at a time. And now there's sport court and it's like skating in mud. Like it's, it's awful. And, you know, it's in a part of town that the mostly white city that I live in just doesn't want to go to. And so not a lot of people go and skate there. And if that rink closes, there isn't going to be that outlet for kids in that community. There isn't going to be that space to let that frustration and, you know, blow off that steam. I think that Mm -hmm. we got to think about kids and what they can actually spend on this as, you know, I I know that we don't have like a full-time rink. The only full-time rink we have in New York city right now is, is on Staten Island and it's not accessible by public transport. It might as well be suburban. We -hmm. have two summertime rinks uh, in, in two parks. And the one that's uptown by Harlem Mm -hmm. is a lot more affordable and accessible to the community. And then there's the one that's kind of like private public in, in Prospect Park in Brooklyn. That's another key part of it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's like the million dollar question. <laughs> How do you keep a rink open, especially in a like post COVID society? I don't know. Yeah, it's like, you know, what? and I'm also like really afraid that, you know, with COVID and with its disproportionate effect on the African American community and people mm-hmm. of color, if like history is being the history that's being lost, like the the culture and the history and the the legacies that are being lost that are being that are going unwritten or written in yeah. like invisible ink. I'm I hate to think about that, but it's really it it's something that seems that's scary too. I don't know. I thought that the, the names of the I, I found myself being like getting stuck on or not stuck, but like I love the name like United Skates because of all the cities, right? And that mm-hmm. the documentary itself they ended at the reopening of a world on wheels that just felt so yeah. symbolically powerful to me. Yeah. Uh, I just, it made me so happy. So yeah. yeah. I didn't, I didn't think about that until you, until you mentioned that. Yeah. And I don't know if that was intentional or by the directors, but I thought that was, yeah. Once you pointed that out, I was just like, <sighs> yeah. Right. <laughs> It's a, it was such an optimistic note and so great. Yeah. And I hope it's like, I hope it's foreshadowing. <laughs> I hope it's, yeah. So I, I had a question, you know, we've been talking about race intermittently. We've kind of touched upon this like in different ways, but how, how whiteness was 
in the movie, how it, or in the documentary, how it, you know, I think I saw some in the party, but for the most part, it was the guards. And yeah, there was, I mean, the, the owner owners. of um, Skateland, that guy seems super chill. <laughs> like, the, wait, first Skateland? Of all. Is that the one in the, the North Carolina? No, Skateland was, was in LA. That's, the that's, oh, the club. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The rink yeah, that closed. Not, dude. not Skate Depot. The owner of Skate Depot is also white, but Skateland was, you know, where they had a lot of the hip hop shows and he was like showing all of the posters and stuff yeah. like that. Again, I don't know if this was in, in, was intentional. And I mean, the, they're on the, you know, they're listening in, but I liked that they didn't focus on the rink owners as much. They focus on the skaters. They focus on the culture in those spaces. And the rink owners were just sort of like in the periphery. You they, know. Skater, they centered it on blackness and on African-American culture and on skating. Yeah. It, yeah. And that's, that's refreshing, right? <laughs> like yes. Yeah. As two people who have endeavors that center BIPOC, right? It's something I think that definitely it's refreshing. It's a fresh breath of air for sure. Yeah. Um, and I, I appreciated, you know, it was good to hear that the reason why like when, when Skate Depot closed and they, they spoke to the, the owner was saying like, they just didn't want to renew our lease, you know? Displacement. Like, yeah, I, I'm glad that was included because it wasn't just like, you know, people would assume, oh, like some rich white rink owner, like just Sold wanted it. to sell it and make a quick buck, you know? Yeah. Like, no, like that dude would have kept it open if he could, you know? Mm-hmm. I like that. So, yeah. Yeah. Just a heads up. It is telling you that we have one minute remaining on this chat. So <laughs> we should probably wrap it up. Okay. I guess there's a limit to how long you can go live. Do we get disconnected? Um, is that a thing? It'll probably just turn off. Yeah. So closing um, impressions. Oh gosh. I just, I just want to know more. Like I want to know more about those, like the skates that people are making. I want to know. I just want more. Like I want to, travel and hang out with these people like they seem like just amazing beautiful people and i want more of it How like about a multi-parter <laughs> right a la the netflix docs or you have 30 millions. seconds okay <laughs> i wanted more too i think that's it i think that's like, yeah. you know we loved it and we want more and yeah hopefully there's more hopefully there can be more yeah dina Diana says it was a very clear choice that all knowledge was learned by black voices as informers. We had great interviews with white allies, but we chose in the end not to include their voices. Um, All right. This is going to be over in three, two, one. Thank you everybody for tuning in. Bye. All right, folks, well, there you have it. Holding Space with Magical Wheelism is available on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and YouTube. Help the pod grow by subscribing and sharing it with friends. Rating and reviewing on Apple Podcasts also helps others find us. Follow the pod on Instagram at Holding Space with Magic Pod. Intro and outro music is by Sun Searcher. The song is called Latin Rhythm. And the cover photo is by James Corbett of Epic Life Images. Find him at Epic Life Images on Instagram. See you next time. Bye.